You're listening to Traumedy, the podcast that helps you transmute your trauma with comedy. I'm Nancy Norton. I'm a comedian. I'm a registered nurse. I'm studying therapeutic humor, and I'm a keynote speaker. I love going around sharing the power of humor with whoever will have me. And I have a lot of conferences coming up for healthcare events and the Central California Women's Conference is coming up with Brooke Shields. Just thought I'd drop that in there. I'm pretty excited about my path these days, but most importantly, I want to be of service. It's something at this age that is more important than anything to me that I make a difference in the world. And I hope that this podcast is helping you. It's helping me. And I guess that's making a difference uh, in my family because I feel better. Do uh, let me know if there's anything you want covered on Traumedy or if you want to come on Traumedy. My guest this week is a listener of Traumedy, and I'm so honored, you guys. I have a guest this week that's like, wow, so experienced, an amazing speaker. She's a hypnotherapist. I learned so much on this episode, and I am so excited to share it with you. And I'm not only going to have her as a guest, but I am going to hire her as a hypnotherapist to help me clear some blocks that I've been dealing with my whole life. Welcome to... Okay, okay, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> Welcome to... <laughs> I can do this. Welcome to Traumedy. My guest this week is known as a world leader in helping transform difficult problems through hypnotherapy, meditation, and mindfulness. So this is an exciting opportunity. Phoning in from Hawaii, welcome Wendy Friesen. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> They're cheering all over the beaches oh. in Hawaii here. <laughs> oh yeah, let me hit my applause button. Let me where is it? Yes. It has been such a weird and strange journey. I think that's the name of an album, a <laughs> Grateful Dead album. It has been such a trip to think that 30 years ago I was closing down my tanning salon in California. And I was reading the classified ads in the newspaper, which like, what's a newspaper? Um, <laughs> yeah. Kids, back in our day, we printed yeah. stuff uh -huh. on trees. <laughs> and it said there was a little tiny classified ad said hypnotherapy school. And that was all it said. And I had no idea what that was. So I called them and she says, well, it starts tomorrow and you can come for a couple days for free. And I did. And I stayed. It was six months long. It was four days a week like a lot of hours and it was amazing. I had no idea what guided me to do that or got me to be into that profession. But as you probably saw from my bio and information, oh my God, what, I don't know how it happened, but I got flown all over the world to be on TV shows, be with clients who were like really big, important people and just on and on. I don't, I, I guess I was guided to do that. And I'm really fortunate and super grateful for what I experienced. I'm grateful that you did it too, because just my brief experience with hypnotherapy personally, it was transformative in my life. And then that ripples out to everyone around me and my world. So you, I mean, I can't imagine. That's a huge impact to have on the world. So I, I would guess that was a calling that you had. I mean, obviously it was because the path, when it opens yeah. like that, you know, we've all experienced, not all, but many of us have experienced that <laughs> feeling of when we're on our life calling, how the doors just open, 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 and then lead yeah. to another thing. It's pretty exciting. <gasps> yeah, it was, but it was so scary because when I was really new at it, I was getting calls from different media, like, you know, radio stations or whatever to do interviews. And I was terrified because they thought that I was that person but I wasn't yet. <laughs> I guess I put on a good front on the website. My 12-year-old nephew had to make me a web page because you couldn't make your own web pages then. You had to know how to code. And so because of that, I got a lot of attention. And oh my gosh, the first opportunity I got was to be in Sacramento on a radio station that was huge and the morning show. So I had to show up at like 7 a.m. And he said, yeah, come on in. We'll do this. I said, well, don't we have to rehearse or something first? <laughs> 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 no, that's not how it works. And I went in there and he had me on there for three hours live and taking callers and everything. And I think I was just hooked after that. Because you were able to trust that 
you, there was a wisdom you could access. I don't know. I'm fascinated by hypnotherapy and the interface between the conscious and the subconscious. And from what I've read, the little I've read, just know I have dyslexia and ADHD. So I'm an aural learner mostly, Mm -hmm. but when it's interesting to me, I can focus. And mostly what I read are or what I have read in the last 30 years, are mostly self-help books. One of them was The Biology of Belief by uh, Bruce uh-huh. Lipton. Oh, for Bruce, yeah. You awesome. Know, you, I love that you say Bruce. Yeah. Oh, you... I know Bruce, yeah. I've <laughs> That's hung amazing. out with him. What? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, we were at a conference together, speakers. Yeah. <gasps> that is so cool to hear about the people that you're rubbing shoulders with. That says so much. Yes, and one of the messages in there... Um, yeah, it's so cool, Wendy. And one of the messages, and thank you so, I'm so honored that you're on my podcast. But um, what I want to say about the subconscious, what I understand, and you can help me understand it better, but the way he put it was it's infinitely wiser than the, you know, there's just infinitely more neurons, infinitely more connections in the subconscious mind than the conscious mind. And so if we can yeah. access our subconscious, I mean, and we cannot think our way out of subconscious beliefs. We, that's where hypnotherapy comes in, right? Correct. Yes, absolutely. I love this. I want to, I want to work with you. Um, after this podcast, I really want to set up some, are you still doing sessions? What can I do some work with you? Hypnotherapy? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And what's been so amazing about it is when I started doing this and all through the, you know, 30 years I've been doing this, there's things that I thought there's no way that's impossible. I can't help that client with that. But my colleagues were like, oh, yeah, there's nothing you can do to help that out. But I would go ahead and try. So one of my favorite clients is a woman named Martha who was, uh, she was about 55 years old and she had been catatonic for, um, I don't know, six or eight months or so. And she was in her house with her two daughters, adult daughters taking care of her, but she hadn't moved a muscle. She could blink her eyes and that was all. And the doctors said, there's nothing we can do. There isn't any way to help her. So they had me come there once a week. And I just, um, <laughs> I called, I took notes every week and called it Mondays with Martha. And I would talk to her as if she was listening and hearing me. And like, like I said, she couldn't move any part of her body. And I told her a story about this creek and this picnic blanket and this hillside and these little flowers and the two little girls that were there. And after I was done with that first session, they said, how did you know? And I said, know what? And she said, that's what we did when we were little. That's where we went with mom. And I had described it perfectly I need a button I need a button on here for goosebumps like I need to hit because I I have I have goosebumps up and down that's exciting so keep going I apologize for interrupting but I get excited it was just that first session was so powerful and they kept saying how did you know that that was the the trail that we walked on that was the creek that and all I was trying to do like I asked Martha to imagine putting her toes into that cold water in the little creek and feeling that sensation in her body and walking on this path and all the things and amazing making daisy chain flowers you know with and everything was 100% and it changed my life because I was connecting with Martha in a way I didn't even know was possible but the Shorter version of it is I went there every week for about three months and she was communicating. She was able to be sat up and put in a um, wheelchair, which she had never been able to do because her body was just stiff. It wouldn't bend. And they were able to take her places and their life changed and her life changed. And Martha and I were like, mind melt. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Oh, it is. And then, um, Several months later, after I had not seen her for a while, the daughter called me and said she's in the hospital and they said she's going to die and she's not breathing on her own. And when they take the breathing tube out, she's going to die. But I got permission for you to go there. So I went to the hospital and I was sitting by her bed and talking to her and saying, no matter what they told you, you know that you're going to live, you're going to be healthy and you're going to breathe. And when they take that tube out, you're going to take the biggest deep breaths. And this man walks in who's either a nurse or something, and he's listening to me and he says, she's going to die, you know, she's going to die. (laughs) 
I said, Martha, you and I know that's not true. He's an idiot. And I'm just talking into her ear a little bit, really quietly. So when they took the tube out, she took big, deep breaths. She recovered. She went home, you know, still in a wheelchair, but quality of life. Oh, my gosh. It was just just an overwhelming experience about what we think is true as opposed to what is possible. Yeah. And the power of belief, like the, Mm -hmm. to the point of knowing like that knowing, I don't know how, how, what's your relationship with, or, you know, how do you articulate the difference between a knowing and a belief or is there a difference? Well, I would say a belief is something that I absolutely have that I'm like a hundred percent about, but a knowing is more of like, what's possible. What can I do? What can I imagine or, you know, experiment with that might work, especially in my case, like so many people I've worked with that I think, oh God, this is going to be just a horrible experience. Like I had a client, oh man, who was a child molester and he wanted to stop doing that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and thank God he wanted to stop, but I, I have some firsthand, I hate to say it, experience. I mean, well, that's another subject, but yeah. So tell me more. That's, it's very challenging to keep our compassion and heart and minds open around people that have hurt children. At least for me, I shouldn't speak for others. For me, it is. Absolutely. Yes. No, absolutely. For me as well. And I thought, you know, he was in my office and we're doing a kind of a little first session. And I thought, there's no way I want to get inside of his head or in his world or ask him questions. And I thought, wait a minute, if I can do really good work, he's going to stop molesting children. Thank you. Yeah. He wants to stop. So we did a lot of sessions together over probably three months or so. And he, at one point, he said, I was at a family gathering and there were a lot of kids around and I wasn't sitting with any of them. I wasn't talking to any of them and it was totally fine. I was totally free from that. There was no interest or desire or anything. He says it was just fine to be around them with nothing, you know, yanking at me and stuff. Whew. So, (laughs) well, and that's, that's, that's beautiful. You know, one of my guests, Marla Mueller, she works, her whole business is working with sex offenders. And so that episode, we talk a lot about you know, the roots of it in there, you know, and again, when we have, when we're in our higher compassionate self, we know nobody comes to this world wanting to hurt people. Like it is a way of them discharging their own powerlessness. Maybe they were abused. It's complicated. I'm not going to pretend I'm not a therapist. Why do I even pretend like I know this? (laughs) But just from my own experience of when I, my thing I do, which is control other people with my codependency, you know, trying to make myself safe. I just know that comes out of a, a twisted way of trying to make myself safe. It, it's, it's very, very fucked up. And I, so I can have empathy for that, like being something being, you, you feel compelled to do something that somehow, and, it, and, and they dissociate and ah, I don't understand it all, but thank God that yeah. there are people that yeah. like you that are willing to help because what else, what else can you do? What are you going to, I mean, we exile them. We, we, we want them to be held accountable, but really we, we want them to change and right, to do yeah. that. You gotta, you gotta work, you gotta work with them, but thank you for but doing, if I was doing a, that work. If I was a licensed therapist of any kind, cause hypnotherapy is not licensed or anything. Um, if I was licensed, I would have to turn him in because he told me that he does that. I would have had to file a report or something, but luckily as a hypnotherapist, I don't have to. And Um, another, one of my most challenging clients was a man in his, he was about 30 years old and he wanted to kill his parents and he hadn't told anybody that, but he lives at home with his parents. And we worked through that over many sessions and I can just envision him right now and being right next to him. Sometimes I put my hand on a person's heart and just, you know, let them know that that's what we're here for. And after a few sessions, he went home and he hugged his mother and father because he lived with his parents. And his mom called me and said, I have never, ever 
had a hug from Andy and the love is there and something changed and he was no longer wanting to kill his parents. But uh, about three months later, he called me and said, I was, I'm in the, the bar. I just walked outside to call you, but I want to go back in and kill everybody. Oh my God, really? Oh no. Oh. So I talked to him. Oh God. I talked to him for like probably 30 minutes and got him to reset back to who he really is, what he loves, what's important to him and get those core things back. And he indeed did not go in there and hurt anybody. But I was like, wow, wow. How on earth am I so honored to be the one to help him with this and help him to let go of all that where otherwise someone would have to put him in, you know, turn him in and have him locked up or something. Wow. You're, you're really opening my mind here because one of the things I was talking with Marla about was what is the resource or what's the recourse? I, I mean, if people know that they're going to get turned in like a child molester um yeah then they don't go seek help because they the consequence is too great the risk is too great but now gosh I hope someone's hearing this and I don't know if you're I mean I don't want you to get flooded with like really (laughs) challenging clients but then again if you're open to helping them and then this is an amazing resource for people that have it is so yeah, thank and, you for sharing that. I've never thought yeah. of it this way. I didn't know about it. But to know that other people are living with these really deep fears and the stuff they can't talk to anybody else about, you know, it's yeah. really sad that they go to counseling or, you know, they're afraid to open up because then they're going to get reported, like you're saying. Yeah. And, and they hypnotherapy need help. Is, yeah. Hypnotherapy is a safer place. But hypnotherapy is not regulated. And so there's a lot of people that take a little online course for, you know, whatever, a week, and they call themselves a hypnotherapist. And that's no good because there's a lot of not well-trained hypnotherapists out there. Well, that's good. So how do you vet? How would I vet? I I mean, I know you and I can see your vast experience and I am going to work with you because I have some stuff I need to work on that I have these beliefs that have been blocking me my whole life. Mm-hmm. And my mother died this year. So I, I am freer on some level. I love my mother. I know she did her best, but the woman oppressed me and really held me back in life in some ways. I mean, she empowered yeah. me in some ways and held me back in others. I mean, that's classic, but yeah. uh, how do you vet, how do you vet a hypnotherapist? That's really difficult. They can certainly pump up their resume, you know, by whatever they have showing online and stuff. And you've just got to do like an introductory hopefully a free um, little session with them to see if you feel like you trust them or you feel like they're knowledgeable. But most people don't know what to expect. So they don't know if they're getting the right kind of help. Um, If you look at someone's history and they've, they've been to a lot of conferences and they're a speaker and a trainer, then that, that kind of vets them. Like in my case, I'm, I've been speaking all over the world to audiences and obviously I wouldn't get to that point if I wasn't really good at what I'm doing. Right. So, and, yeah. And then, yeah. you know, knowing somebody, it always is nice to go, okay, here's somebody that worked with her. Like, uh, you know, that's always a good one. Yeah. Get a good firsthand a referral, mm-hmm. but, uh, cause there are, I'm, I, so the other thing I wanted to go back to that we didn't quite finish, I wanted to know what is your take on the fact that you intuited Martha's childhood memory. How, how do you feel hmm. that? How do you feel you got that information? Hmm. Wow. <laughs> I wish I knew. Um, I, <laughs> All you know is you got it. I, I did this with so many clients. I saw what they saw and I heard what they were hearing. We have the ability to share thoughts. It's not complicated But when we're in a quiet environment and it's just us and them, we can share experiences. So I don't know. Well, I'm not saying we're all psychic, but we all have all the time the ability to share these thoughts. So you're with someone and you feel some fear, this new person that you just met. You feel, I'm not comfortable. What's up with that? Why do I feel that way? Because you don't know any reason for feeling bad. But when I was um, doing a seminar in New York and there was... We did three days and there was about 30 people or so. But on the last day, I, this might explain an answer to that. I had 
an experiment that I had never done before. And I said, everybody stand up in this circle. And in the middle of the circle were two chairs. And I had two um, people volunteer to sit in the chairs. And I was making this up as I went. I love <laughs> it. Anyway, so I said, okay, uh, the two in the middle, close your eyes, take a deep breath, relax. And I had a whiteboard. And so I had already told them what I write on the whiteboard is what I want all of you to experience in your own mind and your body. And then you're going to send it to the two ladies in the chairs, right? And so like the first one was like a roller coaster. And that's all I wrote. And then they did that. And then I said, okay, release, you know, release that, take a deep breath. And then the next one was a dark alley and release that, you know, or let it go. Um, the next one was, I think it was an orgasm or something, but anyway, so, <laughs> so, um, so then I had them open their eyes and I said to both of the ladies, I said, what did you experience on that first one? And when they were talking about the roller coaster, they said, I don't know. I was sitting down, but I could hear this really clack, 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 clack sound. And I felt like I was going up to somewhere. And the other one says, I was falling and I don't know how I was falling. I was safe. It was kind of scary, but I was safe. And I was falling down, down, down really fast. I was like, oh my gosh, because I had never done this experiment. And so each thing that we did, their description of it was just right on. Even one of them was like lying on the warm sand on a beach. And one says, oh, I could hear birds. And I, there was a breeze and I could hear the ocean. And the other one says, I felt warm sand underneath me. I was lying in warm sand. And they kept getting these things right. So <laughs> yeah. we did about 20 or 30 of these that I wrote on the board. And the one that was the orgasm was kind of funny because the first lady says, I can't tell you, I can't, I can't tell you what it was. <laughs> not, in it polite, was good. not in polite society. Yeah. yeah. And, and the other one said, it was very obviously an orgasm that they were transmitting to me. I just felt all the blood and sensation, everything rushing to, you know, and <laughs> Um, not that they were having an orgasm, but just that they absolutely knew. And we did this with, then I had those two like stand up and two other people sit down in the chairs and we did this for a couple hours. It was amazing. So anyway, the answer is we are sharing thoughts with other people all the time. We just don't know it or we don't give ourselves credit for it. So when I'm with a client or with your, you're with a really good friend of yours, um, we are sharing those thoughts and we need to give ourselves credit for what we are experiencing that is on a deeper um, level of knowing, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. I know. And there, well, I was just reading something last night where there's not the measure. We don't have the tools to measure quant all the quantum physics of all this. We don't that. It, and that's why like my neighbor, I talk about my neighbor who is a brilliant scientist and we just have an impasse on the whole like spiritual thing. Although he does want to do psilocybin mushrooms with me someday. And I'll be interested to talk with him after that. But <laughs> the point is, uh, whatever that is, whatever that exchange of information, my mother who lived, you know, 800 miles away by car, probably a little closer as the crow flies, but she, she and I, we, I mean, <laughs> I never felt like I had privacy from that woman. And I had, I have boundary issues, like in terms of not holding them. So, but my mother, yeah. I just, and still now she's passed and I still feel her presence all the time, which now oh. she's different though. Now she's, at least in my mind, whether I'm making it up, I don't care. I just love that. I don't, she doesn't worry about me embarrassing her anymore because oh. she's, you know, she's transcended the judgment and worries and fears. Which is part of the earth experience, right? It's it, mm -hmm. the ego self. Mm -hmm. But back to sharing information. Yeah, she, I mean, they're down to some, I mean, weird details, weird details. Like I, I've probably, I think I've said this once before on the podcast, but it doesn't hurt to repeat it. I was a, you know, busy single mom. You were a single mom too, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, and I went through a horrible <laughs> breakup when my son was two and not just like a, a typical, like I went through a divorce with my ex-husband and we're still friends. 
But this person uh, now, you know, the safe house told me it was a sociopath. And I, anyway, there, she was on a mission to annihilate me. And it was hard to be a single mom while somebody's trying to like, you know, take everything, you know, include, yeah. you know, leave me with nothing. But I managed thanks to humor and we'll get back to that. But my point is, um, I was just overwhelmed and I was every day I'd load the dishwasher and that, that gross crease at the crack of the dishwasher, the hinge, I was like, ah, I should wipe that. That is disgusting. And I would think that thought every day and I would go tomorrow, you know, throw all the stuff in the dishwasher fast as you can. Let's get out the door. And my mother, I don't know why this is what she fixated on to share with me through her psychic ability, but that's what she let me know. Like, Nancy, you know, it takes 15 seconds to wipe that with a paper towel, that crease in your dishwasher out of nowhere. And I'm wow. like, oh, and, and she was right. And I, I grabbed a paper towel, dipped it in a little bit of water, gone. And I'm like, why, why, did, why is she community of all the things she could yeah, share with me. <laughs> but that was because, my mom. My mom was very it, much about the germs, man. She was but a But that nurse. was a life lesson is that the things that you're resisting and that you're judging yourself on every time you open that dishwasher, uh-huh. you're thinking, oh, you know, somehow deeper in you, like, oh, I'm a I'm bad person. A I'm so dirty. And I'm, I'm a bad, bad person. I think took- the core belief. Oh, God, I'm interrupting you and you're the expert. I'll no, pop. it's okay. But the, the lesson is it took me. 15 seconds to release that belief about myself and I'm not a slob and I don't have a dirty dishwasher and my mom would be happy that I wiped it clean and then you're done with that. But I learned that in my life of being a slob early on. I just didn't hang out my clothes. I didn't clean anything. And then I realized, you know what, if I spend 10 minutes cleaning up or doing, making my bed or whatever it is, or hanging out my clothes, I will know I'm a better person and this is who I am, that I love having things neat and organized. And it took me a couple weeks to really get on it, but it was a different world because everywhere I looked, nothing was triggering me to remind me that, oh, you're just a slob, you know, you can't hang up anything. (laughs) Well, I have some really strong thoughts about that because one of the addictions or that's not the right word. One of the patterns that my mother had a clutter issue and I have a clutter issue. And then I had this housemate years ago that shared this bit of wisdom, which she was saying, Hey, isn't it easier to look at the clutter and go, Oh, that isn't that terrible. This clutter rather than look at your deeper issue. Like it's a way of, it's a, it's a way of mitigating your deep shame. And I'm like, wow. And so at the core belief, and this is what I got through psychedelic therapy was that I'm was full of self-hate and shame. And that basically my core belief is that I was a bad person and my mother thought she was a bad person. And to manage that, you know, she offloaded a lot of shame. Let's, you know, wipe that thing. So we don't have to feel like we're a bad person. Right, and so right. it's a weird way of control, yep. but, but that doesn't change who I am. It just, it is a nice reflection of like, I care and love for my, love myself, which I'm still, but it does, it does change who you are. So, okay. Let me, I, yeah. Tell me more. Oh, about go ahead. That. Well, what I just want to say is I, one of the things I saw on your website was about so, love yourself. And this is something I'm saying every time on stage, what I want for everyone, cause I'm just now starting to love myself in my sixties is wow. I, I didn't know how that felt. I never knew the feeling of self-love because I'd exiled my sweetheart, part of me, the little baby I call sweetheart now, that she was exiled early in my infancy. Like I got the identity that I'm a bad baby. There are no bad babies. I think my mother got that imprinted on her and, and so on and so mm-hmm. on. And it, it, it came out of a survival trait. That's a long story. But the point is, oh, I just really want from the inside out, If and I know it's... I, it doesn't necessarily change people to hear me say, I want you to love yourself, but I'm yeah. telling you, I love you no matter what you've done. And I love you are a good person. And the thing wow. I got, I got to tell my mother that at the end of her life, I said, mom, you've made me feel like a bad oh. person my whole life. And I'm oh. not. And I go, I'm a good person. Everyone in our family is a good person and you're a good person. And that felt yeah. transformative. And I'll, and with yeah. that, I will pass to my guest. <laughs> that comes from her damage. You know, when she was young, there wasn't anybody giving her self-help or any ideas about who she is or could become or anything. We didn't have parents 
who could teach us any of that. They were just doing what they had, you know, done. And my parents grew up in some really horrible situations and they were doing the best they could. That's they right. They didn't know anything about how to help us be better people. That's right. hundred percent. I know that. I know she did her very best and it's a survival skill. She, it helped yes. her survive to yeah. be in control, wash her hands, you know, keep things micro by, you know, keep the microbiology mm-hmm. safe the things that she could control and control the family, <laughs> you know, it, it's the codependency, the gift that keeps on giving, but it comes out of, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I do it to my son. I have had to make amends. I make amends to him almost every day. So <laughs> I still have, Funny. you know, that's, it's so interesting how we can change our outer world and it affects our inner world. And when you were talking about this and you said something about things being a mess or whatever, I flash back to when my two children were young and um, and I was a single mom because my ex was an asshole, whatever. Uh, so I had piles of dishes in the sink so big that I couldn't deal with them and the dishwasher was clean and I couldn't put it away because I didn't want to. Everything was a mess everywhere in the house. And so I just had started as a hypnotherapist, but I decided to imagine that my sink is all clean, perfectly polished. Everything's put away. And when I walk in the door, oh my gosh, it, it looks really nice. There's no pressure. I didn't do anything bad. I'm not a bad person. And when I did that visually and emotionally and what it meant spiritually about me, from that day, and I remember this was 30 years ago, I just put dishes away happily. I picked things up off the floor. I kept things neat and tidy, just like that, just because it meant something about me. And if the listeners can understand what this means, that it means something about you, it's not that you're fighting to have to, you know, quit being all, you know, dirty or unkempt or whatever. It's what it means about you when you're doing the thing you do want, and that is transformative. Well, it, it, to me, it, what I'm hearing, cause, and I would love to work with you on this, because I, my house and my mother did this, and I do it. I, I have one, I'll get one area clean, and then I'll shuffle piles to another room. But I have, I have yet to experience every room organized and clean. It's always, there's one kind of, place where it's an explosion of filing or whatever it is. I would love to work with you on that. But I feel like what it's telling me is there's a part of me that I feel like there's a part of me punishing myself. Like there's a part of me that doesn't Mm -hmm. love myself. And I'm like, this is, you know, this is, this is all you deserve, Nancy, or something. There's some part of my identity that's is punishing another part of my you know, I'm doing a lot of internal family systems work. So there's a lot of parts of me that one part of me. So yeah, I would love to work on that with you. That's one thing. Yeah. But yeah. And I've done that with a lot of people. Um, I have a recorded program called clutter freedom and it goes through many different sessions of what it means about you and what it means when you're no longer that person with all this clutter and confusion and you can't find anything um, and how you feel about yourself as a result of, you know, being just a tidier person and finding out that it doesn't take all this extra time to do that. It's just, you know, it's just a little thing here and there and how valuable it is and how worth it is. So for me, I felt like, you know, if this takes me five minutes, it is so worth those five minutes (laughs) to feel better about who I am. Oh my God. Beautiful. And I was obsessed because I make my bed still to this day. I make my bed every day, even though nobody's going to see it, unfortunately. Oh, me too. (laughs) I have the same made bed that is just, but for us, it's enough for us, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it it was a life changer to this day. And um, that was a long time ago. And it wasn't like I grew up in a messy household or anything. You know, everything was pretty nice where I grew up. And it was just my own, um, I don't know, my own issues, my own shit that just. <laughs> well, I think there's uh, a, a lot of people say, I mean, there's a lot of roots in the trauma, in some sort of trauma. I don't know. I, but speaking of trauma and traumedy, I'm going back to, how, 
I, I had to laugh. Okay, so I was laughing at myself, right? You know, I was late for the, uh, and I looked back at our messages and I realized I did not communicate clearly about which weekend. I said, the, I said, the weekend, not this weekend. I said, how about the weekend? And so you're going, the weekend, sure, the next one. And I'm saying, in my mind, this one. But then I still, there's something in me that has, uh, again, maybe that little control of my own shame, like, oh, I'm running 10 minutes late. And I was running around here trying to find the uh, little chip that you record on this roadcaster with, because I just ordered some from the internets and I couldn't find it because of my clutter, Wendy, it was on my dining room table under some papers, but I was running around going, where is that? Where's that chip? And then I need my, I need my fizzy vitamin drink. And then I was grabbing stuff and I was plugging in cords and I knocked over my fizzy vitamin drink. Got st- oh. Right now I'm talking to you with sticky feet on my shoes. Anyway, I'm just oh saying this is the perfect timing. But I, but for me, laughing at it is better than going, you're a bad person, Nancy. It's like, no, just at, at least, at least find, for, in the meantime, until I get organized, at least <laughs> treat myself with lightness, with laughter. It's kind of funny, you know. It is kind of yeah. funny the way I not, and then I have the, whatever the strabismus I have the one eye so I'm 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 often knocking drinks over so <laughs> and 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 there and there anyway so I'll stop there but tell me about how it, times in your life it, that that humor and, and, and may, or if you feel like it I mean is there a time where humor has helped you through rough times or and also what's your take on that with the subconscious and humor if you have a take no pressure yeah yeah, and that's an interesting one because I grew up in a very funny household. My father was very funny, and like I said, he was a preacher, which doesn't lend itself to comedy, but he was a funny man. So all of us kids grew up to be funny, and two of my brothers were very, very funny. Um, one of them became a comedian, was on stage, and just great examples of how to go from being an oppressed religious household to being funny and having fun and being free to do that. And I guess I didn't really get to feel that until I accidentally found out I was funny. (laughs) 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 But I was, I hadn't been on stage. I, I wasn't a speaker. I had been doing hypnotherapy for probably six months or so. Um, because of this web page that my 12 year old nephew made, I I love that. (laughs) I (laughs) I had a, TV show in New York that called me and wanted to fly me there from California to be on this TV show. And so I wanted to back out. I told them yes. And from California, it's a really long flight and all the logistics and everything. And I wanted to back out really bad because I thought, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I've never done, you know, anything on stage or with like, oh my God, TV was a national show. It was a Queen Latifah show um, when she had a talk show. And I tried to talk myself out of it. Like, oh my God, it was, oh, I was so scared. I just slapped myself on the forehead, by the way. Just now? (laughs) On purpose? Yeah. Yeah, just now. (laughs) Um, Because that's how it feels to me. And so I had to remind myself that, okay, it's just a talk show, right? There will be, she'll be sitting at a desk. I'll be sitting in a chair beside her, right? Because that's how it works. Yeah, that's talk show. I'll answer questions. So I'm backstage. Oh my God. There was like, this was the hugest audience. Usually talk shows have a very small audience and they make it look big. There were 400 people. Um, But anyway, so I'm backstage, they're hooking the microphones up. And I said, well, what are we going to talk about? Isn't there someone who's going to tell me what we're supposed to talk about? And they said, no, no, you've got this. You've done this a million times. So I go out on stage And, you know, for everyone listening, this is about how you're going to transform your fears, like in three seconds. I went out there and I realized, oh, my gosh, there's like six cameramen sending me signals with their fingers. I have no idea what the fuck they're doing. And Queen Latifah is up in the very top row of the audience of 400 people. What? Way in the back of the? Yes. She's not. She's not on stage. There's no desk and no chair. (laughs) (laughs) so I'm out there all by myself and they had asked me if I wanted to bring some volunteers to the stage beforehand. So they put four chairs on the stage, but that was all there was. And 
I closed my eyes while they were getting ready and they're doing whatever their hand signals are. <laughs> wow. And it's such an intense I, thing. The little bit of television oh. I've done, there's so, oh. it's, it, it, it's so much focus and intensity. And, you know, when they down to that wire and action, you know, and okay, go ahead. Yeah. So you're yeah. in that so, intense moment. Yeah. So I closed my eyes. Well, they assumed that I, you know, they said, oh, you've done this plenty of times. <laughs> uh-huh. So I was out there, I closed my eyes. I put my, both of my hands together and I said to myself, it's funny, like just describing this, my heart's beating a lot faster. Yeah, <laughs> um, you're, you're back I there. Said, I said, you've done this hundreds of times. It's so easy. The audience will love you. And that's like the stuff I was saying to myself. I said, you know exactly what to do. Whew. <laughs> <laughs> Having hot flashes now. <laughs> um, so, anyway, so anyway, I had to be in charge. And I told myself, you've done this hundreds of times. And she introduces me and stuff and she's showing my book or whatever. And then she throws it over to me and I'm like, okay, here goes. And I just stepped into that role of a person who's done this hundreds of times. Of course, you know, I'm not shy and I'm not someone who would shrink away from an opportunity. But while I was doing that and I was in a totally different headspace than usual, I was being funny. The audience was laughing. And when I told them little stories that were quite amusing and I brought some volunteers on stage and they sat in the chairs and we hypnotized them and did silly things with them, but with no preparation to do any of that, the audience was laughing. And it's a, the videos still on YouTube even after oh, 30 years. That's amazing. And I, 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 again, I mean the idea that all of a sudden you had you you had to just assume that role and you played your part but you yeah. must have whatever you did with your self hypnosis this is my my theory about humor and maybe not just mine I, i've read so many articles i don't know what's mine and what's you know i i can't cite an article on this but that i be i believe humor is an interface to the subconscious <laughs> kind of like meditation can be and dream like uh twilight dream state so Maybe when you did that hypnosis and you got into your access, your subconscious and all that wisdom, and who knows, I believe in muses, you might have channeled some muses. That's really cool. Yeah. So you just all of a sudden, I'm on and I'm an improv artist now. Yeah, yeah. And I was on that stage for like 45 minutes without any preparation or any experience. And I was like, whoa, oh my God, I'm still having flashbacks right now. <laughs> <laughs> There's a part of you that was kind of, that was terrified. One part of you was terrified. Oh, another part of you stepped yeah. forward and said, I got you, right? Yeah, and I stepped into it. Yeah, and so I did what a person would do who is in that very experienced um, mental state. Now, if I hadn't have done that to myself, I would have existed in the frightened state of like, oh, my God, they don't even know that I'm nobody. You know, this was just a lucky stroke for me. Um, so anyway, it went really, really well. And the audience was laughing their heads off because apparently I have a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> it's hard right now. I, I can just feel your sense of humor in your presence. It's hard for me to imagine you not having access to that for all those years, but for whatever reason, maybe your belief was, oh, the boys are funny, the girls aren't, you know, because that is something in our patriarchy. Yeah. The boys are funny, girls aren't. Even yeah. even me, like, yeah, I'm the first woman to win the Boston oh. Comedy Festival, which I bring up on every podcast. Oh. But the point <laughs> is, the point of it is, though, that the, why is that? That's, that, that's weird. The, where we are oh. in our culture, however, we still have not had a female president. You know, there's a lot of yeah. patriarchal beliefs out there. And I don't know if that was part of it, but I love that whatever it was, you cracked yeah. through it. You broke through it. You broke through that. So true what you're saying. So there were five kids in my family, three boys who got all the advantages and opportunities. And in my dad's business, that they were the ones that mattered. And then the two girls that we had to just kind of, you know, slog away and whatever. You're the handmaidens. Um, I mean, that's boy, that's oh. something that's up right now. I'm doing a lot of keynotes at conferences for healthcare workers. And I'm getting ready right now. Uh, I've been prepping for OR managers. And these are highly educated. Most of them female. The ones I've talked to are all female. But they're highly educated. Nurses, professionals. And the, some of the doctors still treat them like handmaidens. Like not a colleague, yes. they're colleagues yeah. that 
probably no more than that doctor because they they assist on every kind of surgery. That guy's probably specializing in a handful and they assist on all of them and could probably do all of the surgeries themselves. And it just, I don't know, I'm, there is a little part of my, you know, uh, patriarchal rage still underneath there. However, I believe in reincarnation (laughs) and I know I was a man in one of my most recent past lives. So I contributed to the patriarchy. I own it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But then having that in your history and understanding that maybe you were a man in a previous life, but now you understand that you can have both of those energies of the female and the male and, and call on that male energy. And maybe for me, that's what I did that broke me out of that state of like, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. Who do they think I am being on stage? Whatever. I brought myself into a totally different energy. And maybe it is from, you know, all the upbringing and things that were confident man. And, and then I went on and um, I spoke at a lot of conferences and people would laugh their freaking heads off because I was engaging and I turns out I'm funny. I'm an accidental comedian. <laughs> I love it, Wendy. And I think this, and I've been doing stand up for 30 years and, and I always say I'm on a slow rise to mediocrity. And that is, <laughs> <laughs> that, and, 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 you know, I, in, in, in reality, I'm very proud of the skills that I've built, but what the, I have noticed the variables, you know, like I've gathered thousands of data points subconsciously. And what I see is it's not necessarily the material, it's the presence. When I bring my presence and I connect with hearts and minds, I, it's weird. I can sometimes just stand there and make a funny motion and people can laugh because we are sharing an experience. And I think that's, I'm guessing what you do. I don't know, but I'm guessing you're really present when you're doing your, you're not doing a canned, and vulnerable. Vulnerable. Thank you. You're not doing a canned presentation. Yeah. It's, you got to be so willing to share your shit with people and go ahead and make it funny if you can, but sharing those vulnerable things in front of a big audience. So no matter what it is, it is empowering for them, but it's also healing for us, especially as women, you know, and what you say about the, you know, growing up in a patriarchal household. Oh my gosh. For me to get to be on these stages all over the place and, um, Oh God, I've, I've been flown all over the world to work with people who, one of them is a ruling member of the Royal family in Qatar Apparently, wow. he thought he thought I. This was in the days when the only way to make a web page was the AOL thing, and it was my nephew who made me a page. And I get an email from someone that doesn't really have their name, but it says, "I want to hypnotize women for sex. Money is no object." What? And I was like, "Okay, I'm going to just delete that." <laughs> And I didn't. I thought, huh, I'm curious. And this is the other really good skill in your life is being curious. Yes. I wonder what would happen if I reply to this email. This is just some dickhead, you know, sending me an email about sex. Literally, so if I his replied, if his dick could actually type, which, it, you know, if his yeah. it basically you know, it, that money, visual, is no money is no money object. Money is no object. Yeah. Um, so... I, I sent him an email back, said, what is it that you'd actually like to do or, you know, whatever. And I'm thinking this is just going to turn into a bunch of porn or something. And he was very respectful and answered my emails. We emailed back and forth many times. And he said, I um, live in Qatar, but he didn't tell me the rest of the story. And he said, we can meet in Amsterdam. And I was like, oh, Amsterdam, that's like, you know, sex capital of the world. Let's um, go. Well, Let's go. <laughs> so I was extra suspicious, um, but I was brave, just like on stage my first time. In this case, I thought I'm going to be brave and I'm going to go as far as I feel comfortable going with this. And so we kept conversing and he bought me airline tickets, whatever. And I went to Amsterdam and checked into this beautiful hotel. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> oh, my oh, gosh. Also, Wendy, oh I have it. I have a funny idea. I've never done this on my podcast before, but I was thinking, what if we do a cliffhanger <laughs> and like <laughs> and do and continue to talk? But it's it'll be part two. Tune in for part two yeah. next week. What happens? 
I I really think we should because I feel like we're just getting started and I knew it was going to go so fast. But I okay. really, I've never done a part two, but I think this is worthy of a part two. Oh, yes. I'm so yes. curious to hear what happens. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Because I've had, I and I know you said it, there's a part of you that was hesitating because it was the sex capital of the world. But I went to Amsterdam 1998 and ran in the gay games and had the best sex of my life in Amsterdam. <laughs> Because my partner and I went to a live sex show and got so turned on that we had to work it out all night long. And I was like, I have never had sex that was that flowing for a whole night. Like we didn't go to the, we were supposed to go to the museum. (laughs) <laughs> we were staying right by the the Reich Museum. Is that the way you can say it? Reich, oh, yeah. Reich, Reich, yeah, Reich, yeah, Reich Museum. Reich. But I chose to have hot sex instead of going to see this beautiful artwork. But <laughs> <laughs> we had our priorities. Anyway, Excellent choice. <laughs> tune in. <laughs> tune in this Tuesday, Tromedy, every Tuesday, a new episode. We are coming back with Wendy Friesen. I get to hear it right now, but you have to wait till next week. So this is this is amazing. I'm loving this. Oh, thanks, Wendy. Wow, that's part one. That went so fast for me, and I knew I wanted to talk with Wendy for another hour. So I'm excited. Tune in. This coming Tuesday, we'll have part two with Wendy Friesen. In the meantime, go look at her website. There's so many programs that she offers on there. It's Wendy, W-E-N-D-I.com. Can you imagine just having your first name as your website? That's pretty cool. Wendy.com, W-E-N-D-I. And I want to thank my son for this music. I want to thank the listeners. I'm so excited when a listener messages me and lets me know they have something that they think would be a contribution to the podcast. Thank you so much. Oh, in the meantime, I was going to tell you when I'm going to work with Wendy. So by next Tuesday, I will have had at least a session of hypnotherapy to kind of help me bring out the best of myself as a keynote speaker. I struggle a little bit wearing the hat of the stand-up comedian, but then giving content. It's like, who am I to give content Don't tell people, okay, I probably shouldn't say that because people aren't going to want to hire me. Who is she to tell content? I have a lot of content. I just, I just need to let myself tell it. All right. Tune in next week. Traumedy Tuesday. Here part two, what happens in Amsterdam? I'll tell you this. What happens in Amsterdam does not stay in Amsterdam.